Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com, and I'm thankful that you're joining me once again, and I'm grateful for this conversation with Wade Branch. I hope you are too. I hope that you've been encouraged by it. If you have, reach out to me. Put a comment on social media. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a five-star review. There's a lot of ways you can help, and let me know that this has been encouraging because it has really been helpful to me, and I just want to pass it along. Now, we're in the third part in a three-part miniseries, so this is the last episode with Brother Wade, talking about the guilt gauge, the extremes of guilt when one experiences none of it or when one experiences too much of it, and how to balance out to have godly sorrow that leads to eternal life. This is a wonderful conclusion to a wonderful conversation, and so whether you're driving or doing the dishes or you're at work and you're able to listen, or wherever you may be, let's jump in together and consider what the Word of God says about how to have healthy guilt that leads to eternal life. If the devil can't get you to outright sin, maybe he can cripple you by your own desire to do right. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I like that a lot. I've heard another one. Uh, Dr. Dobson says, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And it's unrelated to this, except for we see that the devil is a master deceiver and that he's he'll move past tempting you if he can find other ways to distract you from the Lord's service. And it seems like, yeah, if he can uh, get you to be so fixed on your own guilt that you can't see the hope that is in Christ, that would, that would uh, defeat you almost as soundly as sinning would, right? You say, let your conscience be your guide. It's found nowhere in the Bible. And I'm curious what you mean by that in regard to the guilt gauge. Yeah, so I've heard that phrase, and I always thought that was a scripture. And uh, and, and (laughs) so I... Isn't it Jiminy Cricket and uh, (laughs) that Disney movie Pinocchio? Right. Something like that. I think you. I think you are right. Either that or Third Corinthians. Um, <laughs> but that phrase "let your conscience be your guide" has been. I've heard it thrown around in religious discussions about you know how to deal with when you're feeling bad. And uh, and I in studying for this, I don't remember if it was a long time before this or I just kind of realized that 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 was kind of a pull in the way I felt toward my conscience is that I should trust my conscience. Because, well, God wouldn't let anything be wrong with my conscience, right? So I should follow my conscience. If I'm studying the Bible, my conscience should automatically just be perfectly lined up with everything I've read. But that's not really the case, Mm. is that we have to train our consciences. We have to guide our consciences by wisdom, not follow our own conscience. Because our minds can be pulled in a lot of different directions, So we have to take the concerted effort to feed our minds and train our minds with what God's word has to tell us. Are there any scriptures or, um, yeah, scriptures or Bible warnings that would go along with what you're saying? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the scriptures that I think can be closely tied to this idea of let your conscience be your guide is Romans, when Romans 14 talks about how, uh, 
however, how whatever is not of faith is sin. So basically, uh-huh. that passage is talking about. Um, we want to make sure that we're not just, if we're continuing to offend our conscience, then that's not right. Yeah. God says mm-hmm. we need to mm-hmm. just stop doing that. Don't just live by in perpetual guilt. So if you're if you don't have faith in what you're doing, if you're if you're feeling bad for it, don't just keep doing it. But that's very different from let your conscience just be your guide. Right. Right. And uh, when, when you have, let's see, I'm looking at first Timothy cha- or rather second Timothy chapter one, verse seven, it says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How does that scripture maybe help me? Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? How does it help me reaffirm letting go of my guilt instead of clinging to it? Yeah, sure. So I think this one was something I can apply this from experience to where um, in the past, if I felt guilty and I felt, you know, I had I had a time like I think I mentioned earlier where I was I was feeling kind of perpetually guilty and mm-hmm. And there's a sense that, you know, I guess I'm just doing that. Maybe I'm a, a sinful man, and so I should just always feel guilty, and that's what God wants. But that's not necessarily the truth. Second Timothy tells us that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. He doesn't right. want us to just live in perpetual fear of what we are. Right. You know, there's a difference between having a realization of our desire and our need to serve God and the gravity of that. But living in fear is not at all what God has for us. That is the mm-hmm. opposite. He wants us to experience freedom and life. And yes, fear when necessary, but God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I think I have at different times developed a spirit of fear that was very in contrary to what God wants for us. You know, a lot of my podcasts do kind of bleed together. I have a lot of conversations, and so I can't remember... Uh, when I've talked about it, if it's been recent or far away. So somebody who's listening to this may have just heard it recently if they are going on a pure and simple Bible binge. But, <laughs> um, you know, what you just said, I think about with my kids. Uh, obviously, the fear that we should have of God is kind of like the fear that children should have from their parents. And that is that um, Day in and day out, there should be love and trust and safety, protection, a growth. But when there is disobedience, there's a side of our relationship where, you know, I stand in God's place or Marissa stands in God's place and, and they have to be punished or for in one form or another. And, you know, there is a look or just the way that we speak their name it suddenly. And yeah, you're chuckling because you probably remember it with your parents too. And and likewise, myself with mine. I'm sure, you know, my dad is uh, 67. But if he were to say Jonathan Morris, <laughs> I would probably still have a little like shiver Sweaty going palm. down my spine. Like, ooh. <laughs> like, you know, I'm 36 years old at the time of this recording. And, and yet I still have that. Yet even though I have that shiver and even though my kids do um, our relationship isn't built on fear. And I think that's the difference between a healthy <clears throat> and an unhealthy parent child relationship. Sometimes parents, uh, they forget that, that fear is meant to correct their children so that they can 
be placed back on the right path, but they, they let fear dominate the relationship. And right. uh, whenever fear dominates it, it's not healthy. And I think right. that's what you're getting at with God is that we, we shouldn't be living in fear because what sort of relationship, which should be based on love and respect and trust can survive if it's fear-based. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious about, I know as we talk about the way our minds work, there are so many things in play here in, in our past. We all, you know, depending on the way we were raised, the influence that we had on us, uh, we all come in to these situations with different tendencies. And especially I'm sure in your marriage and family counseling school, um, do you, how much do you see that come into, into play, you know, as somebody having a spirit of fear because of relationships they've been in or parents they had or uh, marriages? Well, all the time. <laughs> I don't know if there's so, like I could give you a, a statistic, but I would say that um, we are, we learn how to love based on how we've been loved growing up, that there's this family system that we're part of has long lasting consequences. And yes, there are cycles that can be broken, you know, cycles of uh, physical abuse or mental abuse or sexual abuse. These these cycles can be broken. You don't have to be like your parent if, if uh, there was mistreatment in that way. However, it may take someone who's been through something extreme like that a lot longer to learn how to trust and to open up and be vulnerable than it would be if somebody was raised in a good home. So you're taking me down a rabbit hole that I could spend a lot of time (laughs) in, but I'll, I'll just say this for our listeners sake, especially to moms and dads. One of the reasons why you really need to train your children up by showing them how to be a good husband and a good wife, how to be a good mother and father is so that they can have that head start uh, because not everybody has it and everybody can get there. But what a privilege, and I want to use that word in a very um, healthy way. What a privilege it is to give our kids that good example so that they don't have to learn it from someone else instead of us. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's that's directly and kind of in the flow of thought that Second Timothy 1 is saying, how God has not given us a spirit of fear. I think that's beautiful because whatever our parents gave us, and I, I've brought up my own fears, and so I don't want to at all imply that my parents were, were negative influences. They were quite the opposite. But if no matter what our parents gave us, the beauty is that Whatever our minds have already learned, that's not what God has given us. God Mm. has not given us a spirit of fear, Mm. but he's given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. So whatever tricks your mind wants to play on you, just I think it's helpful for every Christian to understand that, that God has a sound mind he wants you to have. He doesn't want you to live in this tumultuous state in your mind, but that you know, it's not just a, a, I don't know, an unexplainable spiritual war we fight. It's it's clear. God wants us to have clarity and a sound mind. And yeah. so no matter what the influences around us that have taught us how to think or taught, maybe given us bad habits, um, God has something different for us. Amen. Amen. That's very encouraging. 
And while God is for us, and who can be against us, you know, like in Romans 8, it gives us that rhetorical question. The devil is. And I noticed that you have Revelation 12, where you, you talk about him as the accuser. In the context of our study, what do you mean by that? Yeah, so this passage helped me understand um, how, what could be at work here when I'm, when I'm just dealing with some of these things, when I'm on the right side, we've been talking of the spectrum of I feel guilty even though I've made my wrongs right, or maybe I'm just continuing to feel guilty for whatever reason. Um, that could be Satan. And I'm careful to say, uh, you know, that is Satan because I don't know all the ways that God might work on our heart. Right, but certainly. In Revelation 12, verse 10, it says this, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. This next line is the important thing. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Mm -hmm. So that accuser that is referencing is in, you know, in the end times is discussing uh, apocalyptic literature, and it's talking about Satan being thrown down. And one of the worst ways Satan is described in the Bible, in kind of this um, this big picture we're given Revelation, is he is an accuser of the brethren. He wants to stick it to you. Satan mm -hmm. wants to rub it in your face when you do wrong. So that helped me realize, like, hey. <laughs> I'm I'm not just fighting myself here. Don't get stuck, you know, chasing your tail trying to realize that you're you're facing an, an enemy who wants you to feel this way. Knowing that I've got this accuser, knowing that there are forces that are against me. Um how does uh, the physical mind come into play here? Yeah, we've already started to hit on it when as we talk about the way our mind is influenced, but I think it's important to know that our physical minds, whatever struggles they end up having, are not just spiritual, um, are not just spiritual blobs. You know, our, our, we have a physical mind that right. has the curses of the fall. So mm -hmm. just like mm -hmm. we might have a bodily injury, just like we might sprain our ankle or, you know, get a concussion, whatever it might be, a physical injury. We can also have mental illness or mental injury, sure. and it's it's important to know that your struggles that we that you might have aren't necessarily just this spiritual fight that you're losing a spiritual fight. There could be, you know, mental uh, illnesses or uh, chemical imbalances that go beyond um, just oh, I'm just not strong spiritually, you know. And I think because the mind is so tied in with the spirit. It's a hard thing to separate those two, but really, mm -hmm. um, I'm, you know, I'm not a counselor. I'm, I'm 24 years old and, and just barely learning what I don't know. So <laughs> I don't have much advice on this area, but, but don't be afraid if you're someone who's struggling with, with issues of the mind, um, don't be afraid to get help for that kind of thing. Yes. Yes. Again, you're gonna you're gonna pull me into something maybe that's not on topic, but mental health uh, is something that, that for far too long, not only in the church but our culture has has kind of cast aside. Like, you know, you can break an arm, and we'll just put it in a cast, and then you're done. But what do you do whenever you break your mind? Right. And 
thankfully in our culture, I do think there are some very positive steps being taken to just highlight that uh, mental illness uh, covers a broad range of issues. And in the church, you hit on something just a bit ago that I want to emphasize again, and that is when we spiritualize things that really they're not spiritual. And we say, for example, you know, if you just pray about it, it's it's all going to go away. Right. right. But if there's a chemical imbalance, if there's something physiological, uh, if there was some sort of trauma, that yes, I let the hearer hear. I believe in the power of prayer. But sometimes when we pray, you know, Lord, heal me of this or Lord, take this away. Um, doctors and mental health experts could be the answer to prayer. Right. And and so let's not chastise people that, that seek that, but rather encourage them that in the same way. I had physical therapy uh, last year. I had surgery on my foot. I had to relearn how to walk. And. I felt really embarrassed because it's something I've done for, at that point, it was 35 years. I had, well, I guess 34, however long it was that I've been walking. But, because uh, I, I didn't come out <laughs> of the womb walking, about your, believe it, yeah. <laughs> your resume with walking? <laughs> yeah, I came out of the womb walking, no. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. You walk your whole life, then suddenly you can't. And when the physical therapist is teaching you basic skills, you, you feel like an idiot. But at the same time, if you don't have that training, you won't learn how to walk. And it's the same with our mind, that there are times when we have a chemical imbalance, when something is just off uh, because of a traumatic event, there's something physiological that happened. And that's what therapy should be, is training your mind in the same way that uh, you train your body how to think again and so that that cognitive function can work properly. So, right. man, I'm probably going to have to cut some of these out because I'm taking too much of your time. But I, I, I'm... I'm on board with what please, you're saying that we have to, <laughs> we have yeah, to talk it, about the physical mind. If anything, I think this is a conversation that needs to happen. So I, I would, if anything you cut out, please cut out some of my, my uh, long winded things and, and leave that in because this is something that, that it is a hard thing to draw the line between spiritual and the physical mind. That's why it's the unsolved, you know, the, the most unsolved case in, in science you know, it's, it's something that we need help with. And there's nothing more discouraging, I think, for people than having an issue and being told it's a simple fix. Why don't you just get past it? Right. So having this conversation hopefully will help people who are struggling or, you know, just learning to grow in this area realize that, you know, this is a battle. It's not, it's not just a, it's not something you just need to get past. It's, something you you need to train and and develop coping skills because i think right. in my own struggles with as we've talked about guilt and stuff like that it, it comes down to for me thus far learning to have a develop a stronger mind so have have learned coping skills learn uh thought patterns that you need mm -hmm. to retrain thought patterns mm -hmm. because we can have a thought pattern that automatically goes to a negative place and retraining our mind like you just so well stated. Yeah. The the form of therapy that I use is called cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, it's kind of, it's probably one of the more common ones in uh, therapy circles that, that I know of. But what I like about it is it's so, it's so 
close to the biblical model of what we're called to do as Christians, that it's very easy to, to just kind of uh, transition from one to the other. And one of my favorite scriptures, and it's very common, is or a very popular one, is Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, about how we're not supposed to conf be conformed to the this world, but be renewed by the, we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah. And people think that that, like, that that's this isn't where you level up. You get baptized and you come out of the water and there's like a glow. <laughs> right. But but transformation comes from the Greek metamorphoso or something like that, and it's metamorphosis. The idea is that you are changing from one creature to the next, and you do so by renewing the mind. And so that's a process. It's a life process. And I'll I'll tell you this too. I've not always been on this camp. I've probably been in the past one of those people who said, "Hey, you just need to walk it off." You know, go home and sleep and you'll be over it. And uh, I've had to change because it's it's very obvious to me that not not all mental conditions, you, you can't just walk them off. So the things you're talking about, changing cognitive distortion, where when you hear something about yourself or about others and you immediately assume the negative, you have to retrain that. You have to think about the distortion that you're that's going on in your mind and actually work through how to make positive connections uh, so that you can distort this message positively. Um, we're going to stay on this forever. Oh, go ahead. If you know, and the, and the worst thing that happens, if you consider this and, and someone's thinking, you know, I don't know if I really understand what you're saying. The worst thing that happens is you, is you become a more self-aware person. You become more in tune with your own strengths, your own weaknesses, and that can only be a good thing. So, yes, yes, absolutely. Now, if I'm concerned that my conscience can't be trusted and I'm not sure what to do, uh, what's a good scripture to remind me that God is, is still in control and that my conscience isn't my God? Right. So First John chapter 3 um, does a lot for me in this area. First John chapter 3 verse 19 says, We will know by this that we are of the truth. And so this is referring to in the context of doing what's right, loving through our actions. So he says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will set our heart at ease before him. That if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. So that's just such a comforting scripture. Mm -hmm. um, even if your own fleshly mind may be a little bit contrary to you and it feels like you're fighting your mind sometimes, that passage that if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Beautiful. It is. I I wish I had something profound to add here, but I'm I'm a little bit taken aback by that. It's like I've read First uh, John 3 a hundred times. And I don't know if I've seen that before. Hmm. So that's, it's amazing the way God speaks to us at different times and different ways with just uh, realizations in different contexts. Yeah. But I think all of this discussion, you know, we've been talking about, um, we kind of took a long tangent, but this is all kind of in follow up of the idea of someone being overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And you talked about how, um, how all these, you know, the cognitive behavioral therapy and all these things to help improve the mind. It's really awesome how 
God added a lot of those practical, simple steps in the passage when he was saying, reaffirm your love for this brother. And, and that's, what's going to help retrain and to encourage him so that he doesn't get too weighed down. Really. I mean, that, that is as good as any of these, uh, therapy could get to have other people around you supporting you holding you mm. up and developing that community that will give strength so that you don't fall into excessive sorrow or into a place where you're burdened down by your own guilt kind of starting to summarize what we've said about the 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 negative guilt that's holding you down a couple of things that helped me to remember is to understand the bigger picture and the bigger picture and this, you know, in this dilemma we face in our mind is that our God's whole plan is pointed at redemption. So why in the world would he want to just catch us tripping up? It's not God's right. goal to catch us and uh, to shoot us down. You know, he's, he's not sitting there with a sniper rifle watching us uh, frolic around and mess up and then drop us. He, his whole plan is pointed at redemption. So we should not. Um, feel like that's not the worldview we live in. If ever there was a time when, when you might need to step back, it's to think that you're the center of the universe and that God's whole plan was about you. Hmm. And and if you've reached that point, it's time to take a breath and realize that that we're not the center of it and that God is. And and that should take a whole lot of pressure off of us. I feel Amen. like that's that's a good mental break is to say, you know what? It's not all about me and my guilt. It's all about God and that plan of redemption and how thankful I am to be a part of it. So, Right. Yeah. Those perspective shifts are, are incredibly helpful for dealing with struggles like this. What do I do if I have got so, maybe, maybe I'm just, I can't feel anymore, whether it's because of sadness or anger, whatever is driving this guilt. What happens when my conscience, uh, I I reach this point where I I don't even feel guilt when I'm doing something that's opposite of what the Bible teaches. So that's, that's what we started with in the beginning is we started with that, um, that man who was living in sin and he wasn't feeling any guilt. And I think, you know, the, the simple quick answer is, well, repentance need to be had. And right. I believe that repentance and changing our life will change our heart because there was times where, you know, I thought, okay, whatever, I'll, I'll change and do this, but I really don't feel like, like this is bad. It's just, you know, whatever. I, I think these, these inappropriate jokes or whatever is funny. So I I'll stop, I guess. And, and someone told me, you know what, you might think that way now, but just watch what happens when you stop doing it, when you ask for forgiveness for, for doing that. And, and pretty soon I realized, well, that person then went on to say that, you know, you're going to get to where you see those things as gross. And man, why did I like that? Why did I think that was funny or, yeah. or in, enjoy that? And that's the truth. The more yeah. we change our actions, the more our hearts will, I believe, follow. We Well, I don't think we ever approach any challenge uh, in our spiritual warfare without prayer. So I don't think it's, um, I don't think we would ever even approach that situation without also asking God to change our heart. So if we are in a position where, um, where our hearts are not pricked, um, 
God can God can help change that heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we're we're still understanding this big picture. You, we've talked about how God, His plan is redemption. It's not to come target you. Uh, we've just talked about how even if we were to not feel guilt, the the question we should ask is, um, are we really wanting to disagree with God? And that could be a great place to to maybe turn from sin, even if we're not feeling the prick of guilt. But you have another question, a third question that helps us see the bigger picture. Uh, would you go ahead and ask it and then explain it? Yeah, so the question is to the person who maybe feels like they're too far gone or feels like they can't be forgiven for the sin they lived in the past. Um, the question I would ask them is, is if not you, then who? Mm-hmm. If you can't be saved, if you can't be pulled out of sin and have a true fresh start, then who in the world could? Because, I mean, we read in the old, in the New Testament, Paul was persecuting the church. It's not just like he was kind of living a, a, uh, a neutral life out there, you know, just not with God's will. He was actively persecuting the church. Right. And he said, I was the chief of all sinners. So... If you really think you're worse than Paul, then one kind of who do you think that you are? Back to back to the uh, center of the universe issue is if not if if you can't be saved, then who can? And that's an underestimation right. of God's power ultimately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. Well, we've reached a point in our guilt gauge, right? So you, uh, you've got red on both sides. You don't want to have this seared conscience of no guilt. And you also don't want to swing to the other way and you feel guilty even when you've done nothing wrong. So we got to find that balance, that sweet spot in the middle. And is this the part of the study where we get to maybe finally talk about that? <laughs> right. Yeah. So the the beautiful center of that spectrum where God wants us to be, and I've labeled this, uh, this spectrum, I've given it this label, that guilt leads me to repent and I leave that guilt at the cross. Mm-hmm. That is the godly sorrow that that's discussed about uh, in in, uh, in in Second Corinthians that we already read. And the great passage that goes along with that is in Second Corinthians chapter seven, uh, verse eleven. Do you mind reading that passage? What diligence it produced in you! What clearing of yourselves! What indignation! What fear! What vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. Right. So this is in context of, you know, we've, we've kind of been taking long tangents, but this was in context of saying that godly sorrow. And he's saying, you know, that godly sorrow, what diligence it produced in you. And he says all those things. And this is the beautiful kind of momentum. This, even the sentence feels like, you know, the things are starting to roll. It produced diligence. You know, it produced a willingness to keep after your spiritual goals and your spiritual growth. That godly sorrow that will truly take guilt, respond to it, and change our lives for God, it'll produce a diligence to stick with it. It produced a, he says, a clearing of yourselves. When I think of that clearing of yourselves, it's almost like a, a breath of fresh air. It's almost like that, that freedom and that clearing mm. where you, you are free from some of the burdens that used to be uh, enslaved by in sin and you are, you're clear, you're free. He says, yeah. what indignation, what, what, uh, like I talked about before, 
there's a sense of, man, I can't believe I used to like that. And I'm, I'm indignant toward that now. I don't, I hate what I used to be a part of in sin. Yeah. And what fear it says. And that fear is a healthy fear where, man, I, I would be afraid to do some of the stuff I used to do in, in my realization of God's, uh, God seeing all man, mm-hmm. I, that, that creates a fear where I don't want to be, a, I don't want to be in God's, uh, sight doing that kind of stuff. Right. And he says, what vehement desire. And now, as I understand this vehement desire is like a burning passion, um, for what's right. And I guess it could also mean a burning passion against what is wrong. But that vehement is, is a, it's a fiery, uh, zeal that God gives us, which is what he says in the next, uh, the next, um, the next word is what zeal mm-hmm. and what vindication. Mm-hmm. And so all of these come from, uh, letting go of guilt, right? Right. This, this diligence, clearing of self, indignation and fear towards sin, vehement desire and zeal and vindication towards God. That's a powerful verse. Yeah. And it's, it is all in clearing of yourselves from guilt, but it's also in, in changing your life. So it's kind of the combination of all of it. It's the godly sorrow that you've, you've repented, you've changed, and you've also let go of the guilt. Mm. This is mm-hmm. the beauty of what God has to offer in godly sorrow. Well, that is a wonderful study. And, you know, I hope our listeners will consider reading 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and then 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 7 as well. Do um, you have any final thoughts before we go? Anything to, to wrap up and encourage our listeners one last time? Yeah, I just hope it was uh, easy enough to follow. I think sometimes it's hard to know where to have this discussion. And so we took a lot of tangents because this is a, you know, it's a pretty personal thing and it's not always easy to get into a long study on it. So I hope it was easy enough to follow um, and and jogging in and out of these passages. But ultimately, I think wherever we're at in our minds, um, God wants us to know that we can change, we can be forgiven, and that we can have a new life in him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, brother, very much for coming in to the virtual studio with me, and uh, I appreciate our time together. Well, I appreciate you very much having me. I don't know if your audience knows how much of a of a trooper you are at going going through this podcast with a bad back laying down. That's a <laughs> that's a Jordan sick in the finals if I ever saw one. No, no. <laughs> that's why you've got to, you know, the good thing about podcasting is that it's all it is is the voice. So I could, I guess, technically, I could be a paraplegic and and, <laughs> and still hopefully get to have conversations like this. But you've I got a back the... made for radio, huh? <laughs> <laughs> there you go. A back made for radio, indeed. Uh, maybe some of you didn't know this, but I pulled my back uh, about a week before this conversation was re- recorded, and so, yeah, I was like the little old man who hobbled around with a cane for a time because. I had three vertebrae in my lumbar that were out, so I had to lay down and record that way. Anyway, that's the context of what he was talking about there. Wasn't that a great conversation? I mean, that was just so enlightening, so encouraging. The scripture's coming alive in such a special way. I really like this use of 1 Corinthians 5 and 2 Corinthians 2. It's, it's the same narrative about a man who had no guilt, 
and then the congregation that put too much guilt on him and trying to find that proper balance. And, oh, those scriptures that were referenced in Hebrews chapter 9 and in 1 John 3 about how God is greater than our heart and how the blood of Christ can cleanse our conscience. So much good scripture use here to explain how guilt is a tool of God for us to repent and bring that guilt to the cross where we can put it at the feet of Jesus. If you want more information about this, you can contact me and I'll get you in touch with Brother Wade Branch. Or we can talk together for a time if you have some questions about mental health, which we've touched on a little bit in this podcast series, but also the spiritual relief that comes from letting go of guilt. If I can be helpful in any way, reach out. It's pureandsimplebible at gmail.com. You can go to the website and find that information there or other stuff that you can download and use absolutely free. Until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his real was in some trouble.